We would like to show our respect and acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land of elders past, present and emerging on which this recording takes place. Welcome back. Dark and creepy things. Oh, wait, we did that wrong. I did that wrong. Sorry. Yeah. Dark and creepy. Not and. It's not and. Dark and. <laughs> dark, dark and. Dark and creepy things with Frank and Scout. Yay. Yay. Um, episode 35. Is it? Yes, this Ooh. is episode 35. Ooh. It's my turn. It's, it's your turn. Scout's turn. Scout's turn. Uh, thank you to our patrons, our two patrons. Two patrons. <laughs> who put up with our absence. Thank you so much. Um, we're back, bitches. Ooh, back yeah. and better than ever. Yes. Um, because, yeah, people have been still listening and finding our podcast, which is great. So that's cool. Weird. What's how many all-time downloads have we got? I forget. Right now, I could quickly... Ooh, quickly look. Quickly look. Quickly look. Um, what have you been up to, Frank? How's, how's the COVID treating you? Well, you don't have it. You've been tested. I don't have it. I have been tested. I would say go get tested if you think you might have it, but fuck, it hurts. <laughs> they get a swab and it's probably be about maybe 10 centimetres long and they shove it down the back of your throat, tickle the back of your throat, you feel like you're going to vomit, and then they shove it down the back of your nose. Mm. So, oh, the back of your nose hurts more than anything and they wiggle it around in there and you feel like, oh, it's so bad. Um but yes, yeah, having it. It'll be worse having COVID. Just go get fucking tested. Mm. But other than that, no, COVID, no, I say it's been treating me okay. I have work, which is good mm-hmm. compared to some people. I'm missing roller derby a lot, though. Yeah. Every, every time I look at my calendar and there's a roller derby event I would have been going to, I think I cry a little inside. Yeah, well, yeah, this weekend would have been... TGSS. Biggest derby tournament in the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah, that happens every two years, but not. Mm. Sadly not this year. Sadly not. Yeah, it would have been sad. It was just approved um, for a media pass as well when COVID struck. Oh, were you? Yeah, yeah, I remember you telling that. me that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so frustrating. It's like, yes, we would love to have you come take photos and stuff and... Uh, if it goes ahead, but stay tuned. I was like, uh-oh. Oh, uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah, we just found out that one of our other tournaments has just been cancelled for the rest of the year as well. Has it been announced? Yeah, it has been announced. Oh. It was announced today. Well, I didn't see that. Well, you're not on, on Facebook. Facebook. Well, maybe they should email people. Well, then they'd have to email like 300 people. Yeah, well, not everyone's on Facebook. I know that, darling, but yeah. it's the easiest... I wouldn't have known until you... It's the easiest way to communicate. Oh, it is, though. It really is the easiest way. Anyway. All right. It took me a while to yes. hack in. Hack the main. Hack the but main. I mean. I mean. All right. We got, in, got into the All Variety Podcast um, email address and Podbean account. And, yeah, in the last seven days, we've actually had 42 downloads of our, oh. our podcast. Oh, my God. Last 30 days, 122. So people... People are still listening to yeah, us. Yeah. We should... I do mention it sometimes. Maybe it's my creepy students who are listening to me talk. It's bizarre. But we've... Um, <laughs> you do have a good, nice, talky lecturer voice. Do I? You're nice to listen to. Am I? Yes. Well, let's help it started, really. <laughs> I find my voice not nice to listen but to. But remember, what you hear from you is very different to what other people hear. Mm. 
Because you hear it through the vibrations of your bones and I your just, and your flesh. I just feel like my flesh face is <laughs> like on my face. <laughs> I, just I feel, feel like my flesh face is on my face. <laughs> Where like, else would it be? I don't know, it just feels too fleshy on my face. Like I speak and it's just like stuck in my blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> Where else would your flesh face be? I don't know, but it just sounds very fleshy. My voice. My face. <laughs> your voice sounds fleshy. Yes. Okay, sure. <laughs> and we've hit over 4,000 all time downloads. Yay. So there you go. That's lots. Yeah, we've got the sitting at 4,048. That's Thank like, you. That's so like much. over hundred downloads per episode, really, because we're up to thirty-five, and that's yeah. four thousand downloads. It's only over hundred downloads per episode. I'll believe you. Take your word for it, because math, math. Um, um, what's the number one episode? I'm always in key. Well, I've got it so far. It's showing me that it's uh, the top ten episodes for the past thirty days, right? Which is interesting. Not like, past thirty days, because obviously people mm. there's been a spike in our listens. So what have they? What have they been listening like to in the past year. thirty days? Um. Episode 28, Kelly Lane. Right, okay. Still maintain it's Kelly Lane herself. Um, then we've got episode 33, The Lebanon's Born and War Children. Oh, yeah, that that's, was a weird That was episode. the one we posted for, on New Year's Day this year. Right, okay. Yeah, that's our 13 downloads recently. Uh, episode 14, Murder, Murder of Junko Furuta. I think that's... Junko Furuta has been very popular. Yeah, Which is bizarre graphic. because it's really... It's the most graphic episode I've done. Well... I might be matching you with a graphic one. Oh today. no! Yeah, it's up there to the point where you know I'm not. I'm usually like, well, people, this is dark and creepy things. We shouldn't need to really put a trigger warning on it. But this one, I think so. With same with episode 14 with murder of John Gofruda, I think yeah. I might have to just because it's that whole. I'll get to it. It's it yeah. probably needs a warning. I wouldn't recommend it's for even creepy children to listen to. Yeah, um, right. I know we have some friends and listeners who have, you know, some young teens, tweens that are into this yeah. kind of stuff, much like I was. Um, probably would, yeah, heed some warning there because it's pretty violent. Um, then we got episode twenty-three, the Momo Challenge and Blue Whale oh. Game. I've, I've forgotten about these. So, and then yeah. episode twenty-two, Aunt Thelly and the Thelian Poisoning. And episode 30, The Family. We've got episode 15, Death from Laughter. Episode oh, yeah. 2, The Gibbons Twins. The Gibbons Twins. Uh, yeah. Episode um, 29, Unit 731, Experimentation and Warfare. Oh, that was awful. Uh, and then episode 7, Armin Muse and Consensual Cannibalism. Oh, yeah. I was thinking about that episode Consensual. the other day. I was too, because so I think we were talking, my creepy students and I were talking about consensual something not right maybe consensual skin eating or something and then <laughs> you should see my face right I know, now it's, uh, it's... i just it just changed I was like, what not of each other but that if you got permission from someone much like how we and then that what why would you want to why would you want to eat someone's skin it's not the most want ta- skin eaten it's not a very tasty part of the body <laughs> how do you know do you eat other animal skin People do eat other animal skin. Yeah, but like chicken, chicken skin, skin, and that's it. Pork skin, it's crackly. Oh, bacon. Yeah, see? So one thing, one thing about vegetarianism that I miss is bacon. You like a stereotype of other people I, against I am, vegetarianism. I am. However, going, but what about bacon? Bacon is delicious, uh, no, but murder not. is not. 
Well, that's my new catchphrase. Bacon is delicious, but murder is I not. Think you should put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> or a bumper sticker. sticker. I'm making sticker. a bumper sticker that says bacon is delicious, but murder, murder is not. Do you want me to put in my? Yeah, I do. I do. I want you to make. I want you to make a bumper sticker. I'll design it and I'll put it in my red bubble store. Yeah. What was it again? Bacon is delicious, but murder is not. Yeah. Okay. Do that. that doesn't sound very catchy, but I don't know. I think it, it is. Okay. That's it's anyway. It's important. Your article you said was quite long, so we should probably get started. <sighs> okay. True. All right. And okay. All right. Let's do a warning. It is there is child a child murder, um, and abuse and torture in this episode. Okay. So if you're not into that, probably skip this one. Yeah, it's pretty full on. And by the sounds of it, you're saying if you have children under the age of 16, I probably would skip this. Just too. sensitive children, I guess. Use mm. your discretion. If you, yeah, if you don't want children listening to about children yeah. being abused or tortured um, and murdered, then probably skip this one. Mm. Go okay. for one of our other classic episodes. Um, this is um, an article that was inspired by me randomly choosing a film to watch the other night with the purpose of going to sleep. Everyone, know, everyone who knows me knows I have sleep issues um, ever since I was a kid. So I just watch films. Usually put on a horror film, I'll fall asleep. Put on something about crime, I'll fall asleep. This did not happen because the movie was actually good. It was called An, Ameri- An American Crime. And it's from 2007, I believe. And I thought, oh, yeah, oh, it's got a young Ellen Page in it. All right, I'll watch this. That weirds me out that Ellen Page was in a horror film, though. No, it wasn't horror. It was a crime film. Oh, yeah, but that's still, that's not a genre I really put Ellen Page into. She was very convincing as a child being tortured and abused. Wow, that's intense. It was really intense. I did not fall asleep. (laughs) I was wide awake, clutching my iPad and hoping you wouldn't wake up and see glimpses of it. Um, Yeah. But you know, when I fall asleep, I'm like a dead person. Well, yeah, luckily. Because... Yeah, it was it was pretty full on, um, but really well done. And I'm like, how have I not seen this film before? Or even heard of it? Mm. Um, and then it wasn't until the end, in the credits, which is based on a true story. I'm like, holy shit, what? Based <laughs> story, which I think I mean, I forgot about at the start. Yeah, yeah, like you just yeah. get into the film, and it was really well done. And I was like, wow, okay, based on a true story, huh? I'm gonna have to look this up. Yeah, all right. So, so. I did. Uh, the character played by Ellen Page in this film is her name's Sylvia Likens. Sylvia Likens. So what's the article? So the entitled? article is called Murder of Sylvia Likens. Right. Okay. Yeah, massive article. Did not never come across this before. So there you go. So what I mean, let's come. Let's try cover the yeah important. I've got the burps. Important. Um, stuff of this. To be fair, the little image of Sylvia Likens at age sixteen doesn't really look like Ellen Page a whole lot. No, she's she's pretty though. Hmm. Different, different face, but yeah. Well, it's still Alan Page played part really well. Mm. Right? Yeah, no. so good. Um, okay, so the murder of Sylvia Likens was a child murder, which occurred in Indianapolis, Indiana, in October 1965. Likens, age 16, was held captive and subjected subjected to increasing levels of child abuse and torture committed over a period of almost three months. I didn't realize it was such a short time. By her caregiver, Gertrude Banaszewski, many of Banaszewski's children, because this woman had lots of children, mm. and several other neighborhood children before ultimately some cups of succumbing to her injuries on October 26. Right. Yeah. Uh, Banaszewski, her oldest daughter, Paula, her son, John, and two neighborhood youths, Koi, 
Hubbard and Richard Hobbs were all tried and convicted in May 1966 of neglecting, torturing and murdering Likens. At the defendant's trial, Deputy Prosecutor Leroy New describes the case as, quote, the most diabolical case to ever come before a court or jury. Wow. And Gertrude's defence attorney, William C. Urbecker, described Likens as having been subjected to acts of, quote, degradation that you wouldn't commit on a dog prior to her death. Right. Well, should. you should would not, should not commit to mm. do that to a dog anyway. They shouldn't do it to anyone. I suppose his point was saying that you wouldn't do this to any living thing. No. Like, was absolutely horrendous. Yeah. Uh, the torture and murder of Sylvia Likens is widely regarded by Indiana citizens as the worst crime ever committed in their state and has been described by a senior investigator in the India- Indianapolis Police Department as, quote, the most sadistic case he had ever investigated in the 35 years he served with the Indiana- Indianapolis Police. Wow. Yeah. So this article covers like the background of both Gertrude, like the mother figure, um, the matriarch, and then Sylvia Likens, um, the month in which it, I guess a lot of this started in Ju- July 1965, um, the abuse, the escalation, the death, the arrests, the funeral, the indictments, the trial, the closing arguments. So I'm pretty more interested um, than convictions, parole, aftermath media print like stuff you know mm. telling of this story in the media including that film where i came across that um so it is a very lengthy article which of course i'll post the link to um but i'm keen to get up to perhaps at least the autopsy yeah um, I, the trial's less interesting for me yeah i'm more with the dark and creepy things we assume that when if someone is caught and tried for murder it's pretty self-explanatory like oh. And from what they showed on the film, the film did go into that as well. Mm, yeah, American. but more about, right. like, why, what actually happened. Yeah, uh, so we're interested, I'm bit. definitely interested in telling about, yeah, the what happened. Yeah. Um, not so much the outcomes of it. But because, yeah. I mean, the ultimate outcome is she died. Yeah, right. and she was a fucking child. She was yeah. 16 and placed in the care of this woman and family. And So Gertrude Nadine Banaszewski, Nee Van Fossen... <laughs> He was born September 19, 1928, and died June 16, 1990. Hope she died a horrible death. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say? Nothing. Oh, I was just laughing at her names. I'm sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> she married a Benazuski, but she was a Van Fossen. Van Fossen. Pretty. Um, okay, so she was uh, born in Indianapolis, Indiana, to Molly Myrtle, Nee Oakley, and Hugh Marcus Van Fossen Sr., both of whom were originally from Illinois and were of American and Dutch descent. Batazuski was the third of six children and her family was working class. On October 5th, 1939, Batazuski saw her 50-year-old father die from a sudden heart attack. Six years later, she dropped out of high school at age 16 to marry 18-year-old John Stephen Stephen Batazuski who lived from 1926 to 2007, who was originally from Youngsville, Pennsylvania, and to whom she bore four children. Although although John Banaszewski had a volatile temper and occasionally beat his wife, the two would remain together for 10 years prior to their first divorce. First First divorce. divorce. Interesting. Right, okay. Following her divorce, Banaszewski married a man named Edward Guthrie. This marriage lasted just three months before the couple divorced. Shortly thereafter, 
Danizuski remarried her first husband, bearing him two more children. I was going to say earlier when it said they had four children, I'm thinking, I'm sure that movie there was way more children than four. So, so far six. Yeah. The couple divorced for a second time in 1963. <laughs> Maybe you should not be together. Maybe not. So that's, yeah, this is now her third divorce because she had another divorce to another guy. There must be, like, I reckon there should be a limit. <laughs> You've had three divorces, that's enough. Yeah. Um, weeks after her third divorce... Benazuski began a relationship with a 22-year-old named Dennis Lee Wright, Wright, who also physically abused her. She had one child with Wright, Dennis Lee Wright Jr. Shortly after the birth of his son, Wright abandoned Benazuski. <laughs> Shortly thereafter, Benazuski filed a paternity suit against Wright for financial support of their child, although Wright was seldom able to pay for the upkeep of their son. Children are expensive. Don't do it. In 1965, Benazuski lived alone with her seven children. Seven children. Paula, 17. Stephanie, 15. John, 12. Marie, 11. Shirley, 10. Seriously, like one a year. James, 8. And Dennis Lee Wright Jr., 1. Oh, my God. A so one-year-old. 15, 12, 11, 10, 8, and 1. Oh, my and God. It goes without saying that those older kids would have been looking after, after the younger, younger ones, I mean, especially like, the baby. Even in a family that is functional, yeah. you would still have that. Oh, for sure. For that many kids. Yeah, yeah. Although 36 years old and 5 foot 6 inches. She's 36 and has a 17-year-old. Yeah, because she got married to the At that guy, Banaszewski, yeah, when she was 16 and he oh was 18. Yeah. She's 37 and she has... 36. 36 and has seven kids. Yeah, yeah. Oof. Um... So, yeah, she was five foot six, so not tiny. It's, like, between our heights. Yeah. She's 168 centimetres tall. In height, she weighed only 100 pounds <gasps> or 45 kilos. Oh, my god! And she was described as being as a haggard, underweight, asthmatic chain smoker, suffering from depression due to the stress of three failed marriages, a failed relationship, and a recent miscarriage. Mm. In addition to the sporadic checks she received from her first husband, a former Indianapolis policeman, which she primarily relied upon to financially support her children. I mean, yeah, so they should have, what, six kids yeah, together? Six kids. Yeah. Um, Bonazuski occasionally performed odd jobs for neighbours and acquaintances, such as sewing or cleaning in order to earn money. In the film, she was doing mining jobs. Right. Bonazuski resided in Indianapolis at three... I think so 3850 East New York Street, where the monthly rent was $55 back then, which... Which would have been a lot. I guess, yeah. Especially if you don't have $55 income. in what? Mm, the 60s? Yeah, that was that's quite a bit of money. Yeah. It's not a small amount. So that's about Gertrude Benazuski. Um, she sounds like a very traumatised woman. Yeah, seriously. And to be like... Yeah, I was, she was played really well by um, Catherine... Hina in the in the film, um, who was great uh, in John, being John Malkovich. Actually, she was great. Um, yeah, she's a really underrated yeah. actor, but um, she yeah did look quite haggard and chain smoking in in the film. Didn't come across as forty five kilos though, but yeah, but still, hard to tell. Um, still, yeah, they did make her look hard done by. And yeah, stuff, yeah. I mean. I, I will say this: being hard done by and being having a life like that is no excuse. I, I oh, assume for what what is yet to come. No. But at the same time, 
She's probably a bit messed up. Oh yeah. yeah. I would be you would be too. You've been married you've been divorced three times. You have seven kids. You've been abused by multiple men. Yeah. You left school at sixteen. Like there yeah. is a lot in your history. Oh, that I saw does... your father die of a heart attack exactly. in front of you. Exactly. When he was 15. There's yeah, not pretty... the, from that, there's not a lot there to set you up for a good life. No. Alright. Anyway, so let's move on. on to Paul Sylvia. Sylvia Marie Likens, who was born January 3rd in Capricorn, 1949, and died October 26, 1965, was the third of five children born to carnival workers Lester Cecil Likens and his wife Elizabeth Betty Francis. She was born between two sets of fraternal twins. Interesting. I didn't even show that in the film. Diana and Daniel. Next names Diana and Daniel two years older than Sylvia mm. and then Jenny and Benny were one year younger <laughs> yeah I'm sorry I know I know Jenny, Jenny and Benny, Benny. I know. Um, only in the film they only showed Jenny as being her sibling right is, yeah not the three others no I had no idea that there was all these twins um Jenny Likens so the one that was the twin Jenny and Benny and the one sibling that they showed in the film, Jenny. Jenny Likens had suffered from polio, causing one of her legs to be weaker than the other. She was afflicted with a notable limp and had to wear a steel brace on one leg. Mm. Yeah, they did show that in the film. Um, Lester and Elizabeth's marriage was unstable. They often sold candy, beer and soda at carnival stands around Indiana throughout the summer, moving frequently because they carnies Mm -hmm. and regularly experiencing severe financial difficulties. Because they're carnies. Um, I mean, back then. I mean, yeah. back then, yeah. But now carnies can make Oh, yeah. Life. Like, yeah. if you're interested about the life of carnies, I would recommend you watch um, oh, you, can, you Can't, can't ask, ask That, yeah. which is a series that ABC produced, and it's on iView. Mm-hmm. It's free to watch. Um, and they have an episode on yes. carnies. Yeah. And it's fascinating. Season. And it's one of the episodes I still think about. But there's one question I wish they had asked is, what do you do about being on the electoral right. roll? You, you keep bringing that up. Because <laughs> you don't have a permanent address. How are you on the electoral roll? But anyway, might, yeah. I might have to look it up myself. I've just yeah. never gotten around to it. Yeah. Okay, what, to do, what, what do you put on the electoral roll if you're a carny? Yeah. Because you don't have a permanent yeah, address. Yeah. And I remember them asking, well, aren't you poor and stuff? Yeah. They're and like, like no. no. Are we, we're right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, for living. exactly. Go yeah. on. So they're carnies and they're poor. Yes. Uh, the Lycan's sons regularly travelled with their parents in order to help out. Ah, so that's Daniel and Benny mm-hmm. helped out. Um, but due to concerns for their younger daughter's safety and education, they didn't particularly like Sylvia and Jenny travelling with them in this employment. What's a Diana, who was a twin with Daniel? Old enough to travel with them, I suppose. Yeah. Both are true. Both girls frequently resided with relatives, often their grandmother, so that their schoolwork would not suffer while their parents and brothers travelled with the carnival. It doesn't say anything about the other. That's pretty responsible, system. though. I'm happy with that. Like, in terms of parent- parenting, that's a yes. pretty responsible That's what outlook. happens when the grandmother can't take care of them. Hmm. In her teenage years, Sylvia Likens occasionally earned spending money by, by babysitting, running errands, and performing ironing chores for friends and neighbours, often giving her mother part of her earnings. She has been described as a friendly, confident and lively girl with long, wavy, light brown hair extending below her shoulders and was known as Cookie to her friends. Yeah, I didn't remember in the movie, her dad calls her Cookie. Um, Another exuberant 
Lycans always, oh, no, sorry, I read that completely wrong. Although exuberant, Lycans always kept her mouth closed when smiling due to having lost a front tooth in a collision with one of her brothers during a childhood game. Aww. Oh, that's so interesting. That's how I lost the front chip on my on my left front left tooth was playing with my brothers mm. and I think we threw matchbox cards at each other and one clicked me in the yep. mouth and I ended up with a chipped tooth. Yeah. So I used to not smile. Smile with your teeth. Yeah. I never used to smile on my teeth because my teeth are blocked, but... Yeah. So what happens when you have brothers around your age? <laughs> you have fights and chip your teeth and lose teeth, apparently. She also had a fondness for music, in particular the Beatles, and was notably protective of her markedly more timid and insecure younger sister being Jenny. On several occasions the two sisters would visit a local skating rink where Jenny would fasten a single roller skate to her strong foot and Sylvia would lead her by the hand as they skated around the rink. That's a bit cute. They are very cute. Then we come to July 1965. By June 1965 Sylvia and Jenny Likens resided with their parents in Indianapolis. On July 3rd their mother was arrested and subsequently jailed for shoplifting. Hmm. Shortly thereafter, Lester Likens arranged for his daughters to board with Gertrude Banaszewski. Right. The mother of two girls with whom the sisters had recently become acquainted while studying at Arsenal Technical High School. Paula and Stephanie Banaszewski, so the two older Banaszewski kids. Right. At the time of this boarding agreement, Gertrude assured Lester she would care for his daughters until his return as if they were her own children. Right, okay. Shortly after the July 4th holiday, the sisters moved into 3850 East New York Street in order that their father and later their mother could travel to the East Coast with the carnival with the understanding that Gertrude would receive weekly boarding fees of $20. It's expensive. That is a lot. To care for their daughters until they returned to collect Sylvia and Jenny in November of that year. So if her monthly rent was 55, mm. Gertrude's monthly rent was 55, and she's going to get 20 a week for looking after the daughters. That's 80 a month. That, co- that yeah, covers more than her cover, rent. More than covers her rent. And that's for July to November. That's like five months worth. Yeah. Well, um, Lester's getting a bum deal. Mm. Yeah. During the initial weeks in which Sylvia and Jenny resided at the Banaszewski household, the sisters were subjected to very little discipline or abuse. Likens regularly sang along to pop records with Stephanie, and she willingly participated in housework at the Banaszewski residence. Both girls also regularly attended Sunday school with the Banaszewski children. So it started off nicely. Hmm. Abuse. That's where it gets dark. Yo. The dark and creepy. Yeah, just dark. Although Lester Likens had agreed to pay Gertrude Banaszewski, Banaszewski $20 a week in exchange for the care of his daughters, these weekly payments gradually failed to arrive exactly upon the prearranged dates, occasionally arriving one or two days late. In response, Gertrude began venting her frustration at this fact upon the sisters by beating their bare buttocks with various instruments such as a one quarter inch thick, so 6.5, 6.4 millimeter paddle, thick paddle. Right, So okay. it's like, what, that's like six centimeters. No, 6.5 millimeters, not centimeters. Oh yeah. It's a quarter so, inch, yeah? Yes. So an inch is 2.5 centimeters. Okay. Yeah. It's still decent. It's still, it's not small. No. Uh, making statements such as, well, I took care of you two little bitches for a week for nothing. 
quote. Right, okay. On one occasion, so she's purely just doing it for the money. Yeah. On one occasion, in late August, both girls were beaten approximately 15 times on the back with the aforementioned paddle. After Paula had accused the sisters of eating too much food at a church supper the household children had attended. Yeah, what I gathered from the film as well is that Paula was such a narc. Oh, really? Yeah. Right. Yeah. By mid-August 1965, Gertrude Benazuski had began to fo- begun to focus her abuse almost exclusively upon Sylvia, with her primary motivation likely being jealousy of her physical appearance. According to subsequent trial testimony, this abuse was initially inflicted upon Sylvia after she and Jenny had returned to the Benazuski residence from Arsenal Technical High School, as well as on weekends. This initial abuse included subjecting lichens to beatings and being refused sufficient food, which would gradually lead to lichens eating leftovers or spoiled food out of garbage cans. Oh, hello, Claudia. On one occasion, lichens was accused of stealing candy she'd actually purchased. Mm. On another occasion, in late August, lichens was subjected to humiliation when she claimed to have a boyfriend in Long Beach whom she had met in the spring of 1965 when her family lived in California. In response to hearing this, Gertrude asked if she had, quote, ever done anything with a boy, to which Likens, unsure of her meaning, replied, I guess so, and offered that she had gone skating with boys there and once went to a park on the beach with them and Jenny. Continuing the conversation with Stephanie Benazuski and Jenny, Likens mentioned that she had once lain under the covers with her boyfriend. Upon hearing this, Gertrude asked, quote, why did you do that, Sylvia? Likens replied, quote, I don't know, and shrugged. Several days later, Gertrude returned to the subject with Likens, Jesus, a bit obsessed, mm. telling her, um, Quote, you're certainly getting big in the stomach, Sylvia. It looks like you're going to have a baby. End quote. Right, okay. Likens thought Gertrude was kidding with her and said, yeah, it sure is getting big. I'm just going to have to go on a diet. However, Gertrude then informed her and the other girls in the house that whenever they, quote, did something with a boy, they would be sure to have a baby. She then kicked Likens in the genitals. Paula, herself overweight, unattractive, three months pregnant and also jealous of her physical appearance, then participating in attacking lichens, knocking her off her chair onto the kitchen floor, shouting, you ain't fit to sit in a chair. Yeah, Paula and her mum are awful. So Paula was three months pregnant? Yeah. And it's Paula like, know? I think, that yeah. she was pregnant? When the movie Paula knows, Gertrude, the mum, does not know. Right, okay. Yeah. On another occasion, as the family ate supper, Gertrude, Paula, and a neighborhood boy named Randy Gordon Leper force-fed lichens a hot dog overloaded with condiments, including mustard, ketchup, and spices. Ugh. Lichens vomited as, as a result and was later forced to consume what she had regurgitated. Ugh. In what would be Lichen's only act of retaliation, she spread a rumor at Arsenal Technical High School that Stephanie and Paula Banazuski were prostitutes. No, that's not cool. No, that's not cool, but still, go yeah. on. She did this because she was upset with the household singling her out for, for similar accusations. While at school, Stephanie was jokingly propositioned by a boy who told her that Likens had started the rumour about her. 
Upon returning home that day, Stephanie questioned Likens about the rumour and she admitted to starting it. Stephanie punched her in response, but Likens apologised to her in tears and Stephanie then also began to cry. However, when Stephanie's boyfriend, 15-year-old Coy Hubbard, heard about the rumour, he brutally attacked Likens, slapping her, banging her against the wall and flipping her backwards onto the floor. When Gertrude found out, she used the paddle to beat Likens. On another occasion, Paula beat Likens about the face with such force that she broke her own wrist, having primarily focused her blows upon Likens' teeth and eyes. Well... That's what you get when you hear teeth and eye sockets. Like, Ow. Yeah. On both their accounts, but... <laughs> yeah. Later, Paula then used her cast on her wrist to further beat Likens. <sighs> Gertrude repeatedly repeatedly falsely accused Likens of promiscuity and of engage- engaging in prostitution, delivering rants to Likens regarding the filthiness of prostitution and of women in general. Gertrude would later occasionally force Jenny to strike her own sister, beating Jenny if she did not comply. Coy Hubbard and several of his classmates frequently visited the Banaszewski residence to both physically and verbally torment Likens, often collaborating with Banaszewski's children and Gertrude herself. With the active encouragement of Gertrude, these neighbourhood children routinely beat Likens, sometimes using her as a practice dummy in violent judo sessions, lacerating her body, burning her skin with lit cigarettes in, in excess of 100 times, and severely injuring her genitals. To entertain Gertrude and her teenage accomplices, Likens was forced at one point to strip naked in the family living room and insert an empty Coca-Cola bottle into her own vagina in their presence. And they'll glass back then too. With Gertrude stating to all present that this act of humiliation being for Sylvia to prove to Jenny what kind of girl you are. Quote, Gertrude Banaszewski eventually forbade Likens from attending school after she confessed to having stolen a gym suit from the school after Gertrude had refused to purchase the clothing for her. For this act of theft, Gertrude whipped Likens with a 3-inch wide to 7.6-centimetre police belt. <laughs> yeah. I mean... Gertrude then switched her conversation to the evils, in quotes, of premarital sex before repeatedly kicking Likens in the genitals as Stephanie rallied to Likens' defence, shouting she didn't do anything. Stephanie's yeah. one of the daughters. Yeah, yeah, she's the second one. So she's not too bad. No, and in the movie she does kind of try to... Mm. But she, she obviously whoever comes to her defense is going to get yeah yeah abused by Gertrude against yeah exactly um yeah Gertrude's Gertrude's just awful and she obviously you know if she she had premarital sex that's yeah. how she ended up pregnant with Paula the yeah. first one yeah like you know what I mean like she's um yeah she's obviously a woman hater and yeah it's like doing all this yeah stuff yeah to to anyone, anyone that she could really, poor, poor Sylvia came along. Mm. Gertrude then burned Lycan's fingertips with matches before further whipping her. A few days later, Gertrude repeatedly whipped Jenny, Jenny with the police belt after she reportedly stole a single tennis shoe from the school to wear on her strong foot. Right. Poor Jenny and her strong foot. Mm. <sighs> okay. We're gonna need something fun to lighten oh, things yeah. up after this. Yeah. Alright, so the turmoil, turmoil 
The Lycan sisters were fearful of notifying either family members or adults at their school of the increasing incidence of abuse and neglect they were enduring, as both were afraid that doing so would only worsen their predicament. Jenny in particular struggled against the urge to notify family members that she had been threatened by Gertrude that she would herself be abused and tortured to the same degree as her sister if she did so. Jenny was also subjected to bullying by girls in her neighbourhood in addition to occasionally being ridiculed or beaten whenever she alluded to Sylvia's situation. In July and August, both Lester and Elizabeth Likens would occasionally return to Indianapolis to visit their daughters whenever their travel schedule afforded them the opportunity. The last occasion Lester and Elizabeth visited their daughters was in late August. On this occasion, neither girl exhibited any visible sign of distress about their mistreatment to their parents, likely because both were in the presence of Gertrude and her children. Almost immediately after Lester and Elizabeth had left the Banazuski household on their final visit, Gertrude turned to face Lycans and stated, quote, what are you going to do now, Sylvia? Now they're gone. Right. She's a piece of work. Mm. On one occasion in September, the girls encountered their oldest sister, Diana Shoemaker, at a local park. Ah, so Diana does exist. The Diana does the exist. twin to Daniel. Yeah. The ones that are older than Sylvia. Both Jenny and Sylvia informed Diana as to the abuse they were enduring at the hands of their caregiver on this occasion, adding that Sylvia was being specifically targeted for physical abuse, almost always for things she had neither said nor done. Neither sister mentioned the actual address where they resided, and initially Diana believed her sisters must, must be exaggerating their claims regarding the scope of their mistreatment. Unfortunately, that happens as abused children. No one freaking God, believes you. That Diana would have been so mad at herself when oh, she realised yeah. she when she realised how real. real they were being. She was like, "Oh my God!" Yeah, hopefully. Several weeks prior to this occasion, Sylvia and Jenny had encountered Diana in the same park while in the company of 11-year-old Marie Banaszewski and Sylvia had been given a sandwich to eat when she had mentioned to her sister she was hungry. Likens remained silent about the matter, although Marie revealed this fact to her family in late September. In response, Gertrude accused Likens of engaging in gluttony before she and she and Paula choked and bludgeoned her. The pair then subjected Likens to a scalding bath to, quote, cleanse her of sin, with Gertrude grabbing Likens' hair and repeatedly banging her head against the bath to, revi- uh, to revive her when she fainted. Oh, God. <sighs> that poor Oh, my God. Shortly after this incident, the father of a neighbourhood boy named Michael John Monroe phoned Arsenal Technical High School to anonymously report that a girl with open sores across her entire body was living at the Banaszewski household. As Lycans had not attended school for several days, a school nurse visited 3850 East New York Street to investigate these claims. Gertrude claimed to the nurse that Lycans had run away from her home the previous week and that she was unaware of her actual whereabouts, adding that Lycans was, quote, out of control and that her open sores were a result of Lycans' refusal to maintain decent personal hygiene. 
Gertrude further claims that Likens was a bad influence on both her own children and her sister. The school made no further investigations into Likens' welfare. What? Yeah, I know, right? This may, okay, okay. I will say this. This was the 60s. Yeah, I know. But also Gertrude strikes me as a narcissist. Mm-hmm. Um, right, so when, um, I think at that point in the film where the school didn't make any further um, investigations in the welfare and Gertrude was like, oh, she ran away and she's out of control. Mm. She was actually chained up down in the basement. Ugh, in the film. Yeah. And like pretty much out of it. Mm. Like she'd been beaten into a, like, into a coma kind of yeah. thing. It's awful. Um... The immediate neighbours of the Banaszewski family were a middle-aged couple named Raymond and Phyllis Vermillion. Both initially viewed Gertrude as an ideal caregiver for the Lycan sisters and both had visited the Banaszewski residence on two occasions when the girls had been under Gertrude's care. On both occasions, the Vermillions witnessed Paula physically abusing Lycans, who on both occasions had a black eye and openly boasting about her mistreatment of the child to what? them. Okay, so she's a, she's a good caregiver, but she lets no, her child... No, this is the sister. This is, yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah, but she lets her, her child, child beat the other yeah. one. What? Yeah. Upon their second visit to the Banaszewski household, both observed lichens to appear extremely meek and somewhat zombified in nature. Right. Nevertheless, the Vermilions never reported lichens' evident mistreatment to the authorities. I remember they cut to yeah shots of, of the um the woman in particular the neighbour being, um, you know looking at again when there were screams coming from the house she'd be outside watering her garden or something and she'd be like that and the husband's like just leave it don't get involved which of course I means still an attitude that people have this yeah. day even though you know yeah. we have ads on TV now saying you know, if you hear something say report something. say something yeah. kind of thing I mean it's still an attitude of of people to not get involved they don't want to get involved um but anyway so she didn't on or about october 1st diana shoemaker the sister Mm. discovered that her sisters were temporarily temporarily residing at the banaszewski residence she visited the property in an attempt to initiate regular contact gertrude however refused diana entrance to her property stating that she had received permission from their parents not to allow either girl to see her. So she's saying that the, the parents are that the parents told her not to let Diana see. Yeah. Yeah, see Diana. She then ordered Diana off the off her property. Approximately two weeks later, Diana encountered Jenny by chance close to 3850 East New York Street and inquired as to Sylvia's welfare. She was informed, quote, I can't tell you or I'll get in trouble. Right. End quote. Now we have the escalation doing it darker. Right. Due I to, don't know how it could get much darker, but okay. Due to the increase in the frequency and brutality of the torture and mistreatment she was subjected to, Lycans gradually became incontinent. Oh, that's mm. what happens when you're getting close to death. Yeah. She was denied any access to the bathroom, being forced to wet herself. As a form of punishment for her incontinence, on October 6th, Gertrude threw Lycans into the basement and tied her up. Here, Lycans was often kept naked, rarely fed, and frequently deprived of water. Occasionally, she was tied up, tied to the railing of the basement stairs, with her feet barely touching the ground. Yeah, see in the film, um, she thinks she's tied up and kept in the basement earlier than that, to the right. point where that's when the 
the childhood kids and stuff were coming around and mm, okay. rallying around her and punching her and all that kind of stuff and stomping on her. In the weeks prior to locking Lycans in the family basement, Gertrude had increasingly abused and tormented Lycans. She would occasionally falsely claim to the children in her household that either she herself or one of them had been the recipient of direct insults from Lycans in the hope this would goad them into belittling or attacking her. Right. What an arsehole. This is... Ugh. On one occasion, Gertrude held a knife aloft and challenged Lycans to, quote, fight me back, to which Lycans replied she did not know how to fight. In response, Gertrude inflicted a light scour wound to Lycans' leg. Physical and mental torment such as this was occasionally ceased by the Bazanuskis to watch their favourite television shows. Ah, oh, so when they weren't watching TV, they beat up Sylvia. Right. Neighbourhood children were also occasionally charged five cents apiece to see the display of Lycan's body and to humiliate, beat, scold, burn and ultimately mutilate her. Jesus. Throughout the period of Lycan's captivity in the basement, Gertrude frequently, with the assistance of her children and neighbourhood children, restrained Lycan's before placing her in a bathtub filled with scalding water and rub salt into her wounds. <sighs> Fucking yuck. In order to muffle Lycan's screams, her tor- tormentors would regularly place a cloth rag in her mouth as they tortured her. Mm. On one occasion, Gertrude and her 12-year-old son, John Jr., rubbed urine and feces from Gertrude's one-year-old son's diaper into Lycan's mouth <sighs> before giving her a cup half-filled with water and stating the water was all she would receive for the remainder of the day. On October 22nd, John Banaszewski Jr. tormented Lycan's by offering to allow her to eat a bowl of soup with her fingers and then quickly taking away the bowl when Lycans, by this stage suffering from extreme malnourishment, attempted to eat the food. Gertrude Benazuski eventually allowed Lycans to sleep upstairs on the condition that she learned not to wet herself. Yeah, because I'm sure she knew how to not wet herself, yeah. but she was freaking dying. That night, Sylvia whispered to Jenny to secretly give her a glass of water before falling asleep. Okay, so she must have wanted water. Right. But then, of course, she would have wet herself. Yeah. So the following morning, Gertrude discovered that Lycans had urinated herself. As a punishment, Lycans was forced to insert an empty glass Coca-Cola bottle into her vagina in, in the presence of the Banaszewski children before Gertrude ordered her into the basement. Now, this is a quote um, from, a, from, a, from testifying, I think. So, quote... Gertrude called Sylvia upstairs to the kitchen. Somehow the conversation got around to tattooing. Gertrude asked Sylvia whether she knew what a tattoo was. She said, you branded my children, so now I'm going to brand you. Right. Right. That was Richard Hobbs testifying as to Gertrude Benazuski's decision to carve an insult into Lycan's abdomen on October 23rd, 1965. Shortly thereafter, Gertrude shouted for Lycans to return to the kitchen, then ordered her to strip naked before proclaiming to her, you have, yeah, quite, you have branded my daughters, now I'm going to brand you. 
She began carving the words, I'm a prostitute and proud of it, onto Lycan's abdomen with a heated needle. She could have also picked something a lot less yeah. words than that. Yeah. When Gertrude was unable to finish the branding, she instructed one of the ch- neighbourhood children present, 14-year-old Richard Hobbs, to finish etching the words into Lycan's flesh. And she took Jenny to a nearby grocery store. In what would what Hobbs would later insist were short, light etchings, he continued to brand the text into Lycan's abdomen as she clenched her teeth and moaned. Uh, both Hobbs and 10-year-old Shirley Batazuski then led Lycan's into the basement, where each proceeded to use an anchor bolt in an, in an attempt to burn the letter S um, beneath Lycan's left breast. Although they implied one section of the loop backwards, and this deep burn scar would resemble, resemble the numeral three. Right. Why were they doing that underneath her breasts? Yeah. So bizarre. Gertrude later taunted Lycans by claiming she would never be able to marry due to the words carved on her stomach, stated, stating, quote, Sylvia, what are you going to do now? You can't get married now. What are you going to do? <laughs> Weeping, Lycans replied, quote, I guess there's nothing I can do. And she was then carried back to the basement by Coy Hubbard. Who I believe was the boyfriend of Stephanie, the second eldest. Right, leader, okay, yeah. According to the film, anyway. Later that day, Lycans was forced to display the carving to neighborhood children, with Gertrude claiming she had received the inscription at her sex party. <laughs> it's obviously a thing what? that Gertrude had known about herself. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's like, well, why? She's a poor, this old poor child. Like, yeah. That night, Sylvia confided to, confided to her sister, to quote, Jenny, I know you don't want me to die, but I'm going to die. I can tell it. The following day, Gertrude Benazewski woke Lycans and forced her to write a letter as she dictated the contents, which were intended to mislead her parents into believing their daughter had run away from the Benazewski residence. Right. The content of this letter was intended to frame a group of anonymous local boys for extensively abusing, abusing and mutilating Lycans after she had initially agreed to engage in sexual relations with them before they inflicted the extreme abuse and torture upon her body. After Lycans had written this letter, Gertrude finished formulating her plan to have John Jr. and Jenny blindfold Sylvia, then take her to a nearby wooded area known as Jimmy's Forest and leave her, leave her there to die. Okay. I love how she, like, yeah, just makes her children and the other child, like, yeah. inflect these things and not freaking do it herself. After she had finished writing the letter, Lycans was then again tied to the stair railing and offered crackers to eat, although she refused them, saying, give, give it to the dog, I don't want it. In response, Gertrude forced the crackers into Lycans' mouth before she and John Banaszewski, so the son, beat mm. her, particularly around the stomach. Alright, surely we're coming up to the end. Surely. Yeah. Surely there's gotta be no more. Yeah, this reminds me of like when you were reading Junko Furuta. Yeah, it's, it's just like, like how much more never she ends. freaking take when yeah. she dies. Like you just want to be put out of her misery like yeah. it's fucked. Alright, so October 25 to 26. On October 25th, Lycans attempted to escape from the basement after overhearing a conversation between Gertrude and John Banaszewski Jr pertaining to the family's plan to abandon her to die. 
She attempted to flee to the front door, although due to her extensive injuries and general weakness, Gertrude caught her before she could escape the property. Likens was then given toast to eat but was unable to consume the food due to her extreme state of dehydration. Mm. Oh yeah, it's so hard to eat when you're dehydrated. Gertrude forced the toast into her mouth before repeatedly striking her face with a curtain rod until sections of the instrument were bent into right angles. What? Yeah. Coy Hubbard then took the curtain rod from Gertrude and struck Lycans one further time, rendering her unconscious. Gertrude then dragged Lycans into the basement. That evening, Lycans desperately attempted to alert neighbours by screaming for help and hitting the walls of the basement with a spade. One immediate neighbour of the Banaszewskis would later inform police she had heard the, des- the desperate what? commotion and that she had identified the source as emanating from the basement of 3850 East New York Street, but that as the noise had suddenly ceased at approximately 3am, she decided not to inform police about the disturbance. People. That's about the time when she bloody died. People. Death. By the morning of October 26, Likens was unable to either speak intelligibly or to correctly coordinate the movement of her limbs. Gertrude did move Likens into the kitchen and having propped her back against the wall, attempt to feed her a donut and a glass of milk. Although she threw Likens to the floor in frustration and Likens was unable to correctly move the glass of milk to her lips, she was then returned to the basement. Okay, so she didn't die at 3 a.m. No. She just passed out. Claudia. Oh, hello. Shortly thereafter, Likens became delirious, repeatedly moaning and mumbling. When Paula asked her to recite the English alphabet, Likens was unable to recite anything beyond the first four letters or to raise herself off the ground. In response, because yeah, Paul is so lovely, Paula verbally threatened her to stand up or she would herself inflict a long jump upon her. <laughs> Gertrude then ordered, ordered Lycans, who had defecated, to clean herself. That afternoon, several of Lycans' other tormentors gathered in the basement. Lycans jerkingly moved her arms in an apparent attempt to point at the faces of the tormentors she could recognise making statements such as you're Ricky and you're Gertie before Gertrude tersely shouted shut up you know who I am minutes later Lycans unsuccessfully attempted to bite into a rotten pear she'd been given to eat stating she could feel the looseness in her teeth (laughs) upon hearing this Jenny replied don't you remember Sylvia your front tooth was knocked out when you were seven Jenny then left Sylvia in the basement to perform gardening chores for her neighbours in the hope of earning spending money. In an attempt to wash lichens, a laughing John Bazanuski Jr. sprayed her with a garden hose brought to the house that afternoon by Randy Lepper at Gertrude's request. Lichens again desperately attempted to exit the basement but collapsed before she could reach the stairs. In response to this effort, Gertrude stamped upon Lichens' head before standing and staring at her for several moments. Stephanie then decided to give Lycans a warm soapy bath, although Lycans ceased breathing before she could be carried out of the basement. She was 16 years old. 
When Stephanie realized that Likens was not breathing, she attempted to apply mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation as Gertrude repeatedly sheltered her belief to the children and teenagers present in the house that Likens was faking her death. <laughs> Shortly after 5.30 p.m., Richard Hobbs returned to the Bananazuski residence and immediately proceeded to the basement. He slipped on the wet basement stairs and heavily fell on the floor of the basement to be confronted with the sight of Stephanie crying and cuddling Lycan's emaciated and lacerated body. Gertrude Bazanewski initially accused Lycan's of feigning death. She struck her body with a book, shouting faker, faker, to rouse her. Then panicking, instructed Richard Hobbs to call the police from a nearby payphone. Okay. Does she not have a phone? But also as well, why would you call the cops? <laughs> To say, I don't know, probably try to say she killed herself, who knows. Anyway, go on. When police arrived at her address at approximately 6.30pm, Gertrude led the officers to Lycan's emaciated, extensively bludgeoned and mutilated body, lying upon a soiled mattress in one of the bedrooms. Before handing them the letter, she had forced Lycan's to previously write to a dictation, also claiming she had been doctoring the child for an hour or more prior to her death, having applied rubbing alcohol to Lycan's wounds in a futile attempt to, at first aid before she had died. She added that Lycan's had earlier run away from home with several teenage boys before returning to her house earlier that afternoon, bare-breasted and clutching the note. Right. Yeah, because that's going to fly. Totally. Clutching a Bible, Paula Banaszewski, Oh, she's such a piece of work as well. Having stated to all present in the household that Lycan's death was, quote, meant to happen, then glanced in Jenny's direction and calmly stated, quote, if you want to live with us, Jenny will treat you like our own sister. What does that mean? Right. As previously instructed by Gertrude, Jenny Lycan's recited the rehearsed version of events leading to Lycan's death shortly after 5.30pm that afternoon to police before whispering to the officers, and I liked this part in the yeah. movie, quote, you get me out of here and I'll tell you everything. <laughs> yeah. The formal statement provided by Jenny Likens prompted officers to arrest Gertrude, Paula, Stephanie, and John Bazanewski, Jr., on suspicion of Likens' murder within hours of discovery of her body. Right. You go, Jenny. Tell mm. all. The same day, Coy Hubbard and Richard Hobbs were also arrested and charged with the same offences. The three eldest Bezanuski children, plus Coy Hubbard, were placed in the custody, custody of a nearby juvenile detention centre. The younger Bezanuski children and Richard Hobbs were detained in the Indianapolis Children's Guardian's home. All were held without bail pending trial. Wow, okay. Yeah. Initially, Gertrude denied any involvement in Lycan's death. Although by October 27, she had confessed to, ha confessed to having known the kids, particularly her daughter Paula and Coy Hubbard, had physically and emotionally abused Lycan, stating that, quote, Paula did most of the damage. <laughs> she threw her own child under the bus. Right. Then, and that Coy Hubbard did a lot of the beating. Gertrude further admitted to having forced the girl to sleep in the basement on approximately three occasions when she had wet the bed. She became evasive when one officer stated the likely reasons like Likens had become incontinent were her mental distress and injury to her kidneys. Mm. Exactly. That's yeah. what happens when you're dying, really. Yeah. 
Lacking any remorse, Paula signed a statement admitting having repeatedly beaten Sylvia about the backside with her mother's police belt, also once breaking her wrist on Sylvia's jaw and inflicting other acts of brutality, including pushing her down the stairs into the basement, quote, two or three times, and inflicting a black eye. John Jr. admitted to having, quote, spanked Sylvia on one occasion, adding that most of the time I use my fists to abuse her. (laughs) That makes it better. Right. He admitted to having burned Sylvia with matches on several occasions, adding that his mother had repeatedly burned the child with cigarettes. Five other neighborhood children who had participated in Lycan's abuse, Michael Munro, Brandy Lepper, Darlene McGuire, Judy Duke, and Anna Sisko, had also been arrested by October 29. All were charged with causing injury to person and each was subsequently released into the custody of their parents under subpoena to appear as witnesses at the upcoming trial. Autopsy. Autopsy. Jesus, imagine doing that. The autopsy of Lycan's body revealed she had suffered in excess of 150 separate wounds across her entire body, in addition to being extremely emaciated at the time of her death. The wounds themselves varied in location, nature, severity, and the actual stage of healing. Her injuries included burns, severe bruising, and extensive muscle and nerve damage. Her vaginal, oh my God, her vaginal cavity was almost swollen shut. Oh although an examination of the canal determined that her hymen was still intact. But that doesn't mean shit. Right, I know. Anyway. Yeah. I can. I have a high horse about that. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, go yeah. on. The autopsy also decredited Gertrude's assertions. Lycans had been three months pregnant, a prostitute and promiscuous. Wait, so she was three months no. pregnant? No, she wasn't. No, no. The opposite, uh, discredited Gertrude. Oh, discredited. Being, Sorry, yeah, I didn't hear that. Yeah, yeah. Go Gertrude on. being like, oh, she's pregnant and a prostitute and promiscuous. Moreover, all of Lycan's fingernails were broken backwards. Oh, what? Of the external layers of skin upon the child's face, breast, neck, and right knee had peeled or receded. In oh. her death throes, Lycan, Lycan's had evidently bitten through her lips partially severing sections of them from her face. Oh, my God. The the official cause of Lycan's death was listed by coroner Dr. Arthur Kebble as a subdural hematoma due to her receiving a severe blow to her right temple. Right. Both the shock she had primarily suffered due to the severe and prolonged damage inflicted to her skin and subcutaneous tissues, plus the severe malnutrition, were listed as contributing factors to her death. That's why she went delirious, though. She essentially had a stroke. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Rigor mortis had fully developed at the time of the discovery of her body, indicating lichens may have been deceased for up to eight hours before she was found. Although Dr. Kebble did note lichens had been recently bathed, possibly after death. That's when Stephanie grabbed her and bathed her. And that this art could have hastened the loss of body temperature and thus speeding the onset of rigor mortis. Right. Wow. Funeral. The funeral service for Sylvia Likens was conducted at the Russell and Hitch Funeral Home in Lebanon, which is not the country Lebanon, but near um, in Indiana, Mm -hmm. I think. Okay, yep. On the afternoon of October 29th, the service was officiated by the Reverend Louis Gibson with more than 100 mourners in attendance. 
Lycan's grey casket remained open throughout the ceremony. No. Wow. Wonder how they made it. Wow. With the portrait of her taken prior to July 1965 adorning her coffin. How, what? Why would you open a casket at a funeral like that? That. No, what? In his eulogy, the Reverend Gibson stated, quote, We all have our time of passing, but we won't suffer like our little sister suffered during the last days of her life. The Reverend Gibson then strode towards Lycan's casket before adding, She has gone to eternity. Following this service, Lycan's casket was placed by pallbearers in a hearse and driven to the Oak Hill Cemetery to be interred. This hearse was one of a 14 vehicle procession to drive to the cemetery for Lycan's burial. Her headstone is inscribed with the words, Our Darling Daughter. Wow. That actually makes me a bit mad, to be completely honest. She had over 100 people at her funeral, and not one of those people reported what they saw. Or or heard. Or heard. No, no, not one of them. Mm. Her older sister didn't say anything to authorities. Yeah. The people who heard her in the basement didn't say anything. Yeah, the neighbors. The people who saw her at the school. Yeah. The school did one investigation with a school nurse, and that was it. Yeah. A school nurse isn't going to get that information out of them. She's no. not an investigator. No. It's, yeah. That just makes they me failed so her. mad. They all that failed her. So many, and so many people went to her funeral. I bet you out of guilt. Yeah, probably. Out of guilt that they didn't notice anything. Mm-hmm. It's like... No, that makes me kind of mad. Yeah. It's just like... Oh, trust me. I, even after I watched the film, I had trouble going to sleep straight away. I had to put something else on because yeah. I was really worked, I was mad about it too. Um, and that's the end of part one. Stay tuned for part two. Mm-hmm.